John chapter 9. Amen. Reading that uh, 67th Psalm <clears throat> reminded me of a promise the Lord gave me 34 years ago in that psalm concerning working with the Germans. And it still thrives in my heart and mind today. Amen. That thy saving health shall be revealed unto all nations. Amazing how God's word works, is it not? John chapter 9. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. The disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. <clears throat> Excuse me. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. And the Lord blessed the reading of his word. It was this same Apostle John, who at the closing of this glorious gospel declared that there were also many other things which Christ did, to which if they should be written every one, he said, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amazing words. For many of these words of the Apostle John might appear to be unbelievable, maybe even far-fetched. Yet for those who have been made recipients of God's great mercy and grace, those words of John have been truly witnessed and evidenced by our own studies of God's Word. Think about that for a moment. Those divine truths which he said concerning the miracles and works of Christ, the world books not being able to contain them, if you've been saved for any amount of time, you've come to testify to the truth of that. Why do you say that? Well, because there are yet so many divine truths hidden within the pages of God's most holy word that have yet to be revealed and discovered. So many that a single lifetime is not sufficient to acquaint oneself with them all. It's amazing. I wrote these notes down this last week, studied them yesterday, and then this morning reading Psalm 67, God brings to my mind a truth, a promise he gave me 34 years ago. We'll never be able to acquaint ourselves with God's truths in a single lifetime. Do you realize how many sermons have been preached out of this book over the centuries? 
How many people have read these words? How many times you and I have read them over the years and still we, we continue to see the wells of water, salvation springing up within every page, refreshing our souls and enlightening us and encouraging us and strengthening us. It's amazing. God's Word is simply amazing. Therefore, we can testify to John's words that it's true that the books in all the world could not contain everything that Christ did and continues to do. I think the psalmist said it best in Psalm 119.96 when he says, I have seen an end of all perfection. I have seen an end of all perfection. Man's perfection is flawed. Therefore, David says, I've seen an end of it. But thy commandment is exceeding, exceeding broad, never-ending. And so every true believer looks at the Word of God with the same humble adoration and amazement and wonder and praise. And this divine truth is clearly evident with this one chapter of John's Gospel. For there lies within this one chapter a multitude of divine truths which have yet to be discovered, all of which, dearly beloved, would take more than one lifetime to uncover. Therefore, uh, as the Word of God speaks to us, let us suffice ourselves with those divine truths the Spirit of God intends for us to hear at this very moment in time. There are so many here I could not possibly... Uh, speak on them all. It's just if there's an abundance, there's an abundance of truth alone in this one chapter. Yet I pray the Holy Spirit would lead us to those truths he has for us this morning. So listen closely because like we've said before, <clears throat> it's important for God's people to understand that not only the significance of the gospel and the power of it belongs to God, but also to understand how God works these works of the gospel in people's lives. It still remains, many of it, much of it, a mystery, yet there are enough truths in God's word to reveal unto us and give us an understanding of how God works his works in bringing conversion to sinners. And I want to look at that this morning in the healing or the conversion of this blind man born blind from birth. And I hope and pray that it helps us. Look in verses 6 and 7. Pay attention. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Though Christ did many miracles as he walked amongst men, each just as amazing and glorious as the next, the events recorded in this ninth chapter of John's, of John's Gospel are in many ways, I believe, greater than all the other miracles. And that for the following reasons. For one, I believe it transcends all other miracles he performed by being the first of its kind. Since the beginning of the world, 
Look at verse 32 of this chapter. From the mouth of the blind man. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born born blind? Now Christ did open the eyes of blind men, but this man testifies, never has anyone opened the eyes of a man that was born Blind from birth. It's never happened, he said. Never happened. Since the beginning of the world, no man has ever heard of that happening. So this miracle transcends all other miracles because it's the first that's ever happened since the beginning of the world. Secondly, it is the longest and most detailed recorded event of any miracle Christ ever did. 41 verses in chapter 9, all revolving around this miracle of healing the blind man. It's the longest and most detailed miracle. So that tells us immediately there's a lot in here for us to learn. Thirdly, it is the first record of anyone he miraculously healed, listen to me, that after believing, worshipped him. Look over verse 38. And Jesus said to him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. It's important for us to understand this. Because nobody else had done such a thing after being healed. Except this man. There were others who glorified God, others who gave thanks. Some even worshipped Him as they were coming to Christ. They fell down and worshipped Him saying, Lord have mercy on them, coming to Christ. But beloved, never had anyone worshipped Christ because they believed in Him after the healing. He's the very first. That's significant. He was the first who worshipped, whose worship sprang from his believing in Christ. That is greatly significant. I pray that we understand that. And fourthly, before we get into our text, and fourthly, though no one had ever witnessed a miracle as this, not since the beginning of the world, a man born blind receiving his sight, we find in this chapter, we find no multitude believing in him because of it and none following him for it. In other miracles, you, we see so often multitudes in following Christ, even in the book of Acts. They did miracles and many believed on Christ and followed him. Yet here is a miracle that's never been done before, and yet by the end of the chapter, nobody follows Christ. Nobody believes in Christ because of this one miracle that's never been done since the beginning of the world. That is amazing. Even though, it left a great impression upon many. For if you'll recall two chapters later, in chapter 11 with the death of Lazarus, the Jews replied, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? So you see, it left an impression because they mentioned that. And I believe they're talking about the man in chapter 9 of John. Could not this man who opened the blind man's eyes that born that was a miracle? Could he not cause him not to die? 
So it left a great impression, but it didn't cause them to follow Christ. Are you following me when it pertains to the gospel and the preaching of the gospel and the success of the gospel? I'm getting ahead of myself, but many people today, especially today, they want to fix the gospel. They want to force the gospel on people. I'm telling you, the gospel is the power of God, yet according to His sovereign means and methods, no one follows. also shows the great depravity of man. That's why this miracle transcends, I believe, all other miracles, because of those four things, and probably more, but those four points. But let us this morning examine more closely the healing or conversion of this man born blind from birth, because I hope and pray that it helps us as Christians understand the gospel more. Because when you're preaching the gospel or spreading the gospel, sometimes we get greatly discouraged because of the lack of its effect on people. And we get discouraged. Many churches today are so discouraged that they're trying to force things to happen. They try to force a, 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 a conviction, a confession. They have an altar call for 10, 10 minutes up to an hour trying to persuade people to come down. And they try to persuade them that they should say a prayer or do something because of their frustration that many are not coming to know Christ. And so they try to force conversion. I pray we would not fall into that danger of doing that. So let us examine more closely this conversion. First of all, a quick reminder. I mentioned it some of it last week, but I feel it important to make it a mention of it again this morning. A quick reminder that Christ is not restricted or bound by any means or manner by which he sovereignly chooses to bring about true conversion. Well, let me say that again so that you might comprehend that and understand it. Christ is not restricted or bound by any means or manner by which he sovereignly chooses to bring about true conversion. Why is that important? Because many people today believe there's only one certain manner and method and way in which conversion can come about. Christ proves them wrong. Look at verse 6 and 7 again. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is my interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, washed and came seeing. Though his healing produced the same divine effect as all other blind men that he healed, namely seeing all the blind men he healed, saw after he healed them, we hope we understand all that, the manner which he chose to bring about such healing was as diverse and different as each individual. Follow me with this thought. Keep in mind, I'm talking about the success of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The results were all the same. All men were brought to see. Yet the manner and method by which Christ used to bring about that seeing was as diverse and different as every one of these individuals. In Matthew chapter 5, he merely touched the eyes and said, according to your faith, be it unto you. He didn't spit on the ground, made clay. He just said, he touched his eyes and said, according to your faith, be it unto you. The man still saw, but the manner and method was not the same. In Matthew 21, he touched the eyes, and immediately he received the sight. Doesn't really say anything. He just touched his eyes, and the man immediately sees. 
No word spoken. In Mark chapter 8, Christ spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, whereby the man saw as trees walking. Whereupon Christ again touched his eyes the second time, and then he saw men clearly, so Christ touched him twice. At first he didn't see clearly. Are you following me? Man, we could follow each one of these when it comes to the gospel. At first he saw something, but he didn't see clearly. Sounds almost like the man in chapter 9. Where is he? I know not where he is. Who is he? I don't know who he is, but I do know I'm, I was blind, now I see. And of course, with blind Bartimaeus, Christ merely spoke the words, go thy way, thy faith had made thee whole. What do you want me to do? Oh, then I might see. Christ said, go thy way, thy faith had made thee whole, in Mark 10. So you see, the results of all of these healings of blind men were the same. They all came about seeing, but the manner and method which Christ used to bring about their sight was not the same. They all had the same divine and glorious end that they saw. And they all saw because, listen to me, because Christ touched them. That didn't change. That's where the gospel don't change. It's the same in divine glorious gospel. It's Christ who must save. It's his saving work of salvation. Yet the manner by which Christ brings that about doesn't always fit the rules and regulations of man. If we sat here this morning, and we've done that before when we began our church, if we sat here this morning when we went out in the room and said, give me a testimony of your salvation, they would all be as diverse and different as each one, yet they all have the same results. It was the same Christ, yet the manner and method by which God called us unto himself was diverse and different according to each one of us individually. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. We spread it out to all creatures, and God intimately, personally chooses the manner by which he draws them in. We need to understand that as Christians, because we've put God in a box and says, God can only save when this happens. Now, the results are always the same. The message doesn't change. But the manner and method by which God draws men, that is different. It might be a tragedy in your life. It might be a heartache. It might be sickness. It might be sorrow. The divine manner and or method by which Christ chose to bring about such healing, beloved, was as diverse and various as the blowing of the wind. Look at me, John chapter 3, if you know where I'm going. John chapter 3. We need to understand this, especially when we're, when we're preaching and spreading the gospel around. Don't limit God. Don't restrict God to certain means and methods. Amen. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, listen to what Christ said to, to Nicodemus. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. He's speaking about the new birth. Now watch how he describes it. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Do you see that? Do you ever see a tumbleweed or something out uh, here in Texas when the wind is blowing? It kind of just blows one direction and quickly another direction, quickly that direction. He's referring to the new birth. 
It's like the wind blowing. You don't know where it's coming. You might hear, but you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. But that is how everyone that's born of the Spirit of God. There's a variance to it. There's a difference to the method and manner by which God called. God, Christ speaks to this man, and we've heard that before, speaks to this man under the veil of darkness. And he's a religious leader, said, you need to be born again. The next chapter, he speaks to a woman, a harlot, actually, uh, by, the, by the well, a Samaritan even, one Jews hated. And he says, no, you need a fresh water. You need a drink of water because you're a sinner and I can give you water. Same with each blind man. The method and manner by which God severally chooses to bring about conversion is not restricted. It's not restricted. We need to understand that about the gospel. Okay? That's the first point of this conversion or healing of this blind man. The second one, in his healing of this blind man from birth, we see what our brother prayed so wonderfully well about earlier, about effectual calling. Now listen to me. We need to understand this about the gospel. Not only is it different in method and manner, how God chooses to do that, but there is in this conversion, in the healing, in salvation, in conversion, there is an effectual calling. And I believe sometimes we miss that important and divine truth. For the man humbly and with great submission, follow Christ's command. Listen to verses 6 and 7 again. John chapter 9. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Never been done before. Most people standing around thought, what in the world is he doing? How gross. It's what, watch what he tells this man, and watch this man's reaction. And he said unto him, go, not will you please, he commanded him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is interpreted as sin. Now watch the man's reaction. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was born blind, and some guy, I, I'm hearing what he's doing, and people's muttering and probably whispering, saying, what in the world is he doing? He's spitting in the ground. He's making clay with his spittle and putting it on my eyes. I don't know. I think I would rather say, you're not touching me with that junk. Amen. Let alone when he says, now now go wash it off. Why should Why did you put it on in the first place? You're asking me to wash it off. I mean, logically, you would think this man would reject such a thing. You don't hear him utter any hesitation, any resistance. He goes. Why? That's the effectual calling. Are you following me? That's the effectual calling. Sometimes we believe people don't hear the gospel, so we've got to make them hear it. No, the gospel has an effectual working in it. It works. It works. Doesn't need any aid. When God says, go and wash, they go and wash. Isn't that amazing? I like that. Let me tell you something from my own experience, and I'm surely from yours as well. If I could have before conversion rejected and denied Christ, I would have on my own. I would have. But I couldn't. Why? Effectual calling. God made me willing of myself to come. It works. The gospel works. Don't lose faith and hope in the power of the gospel. It works. Yes, it troubles us when people, sinners, don't come to, to know Christ. It troubles us when we see lack of conversion. Yes, it bothers us, and it should bother us. Even the Lord expressed that when he walked amongst men. But never underestimate the power of the gospel. It works effectually. 
It's not going to fall short. It's not going to not do its purpose. Our brother said it best, effectual, meaning God will do it. He performs it. He'll do it. He'll bring it forth. He'll bring it forth. He'll make it happen. He'll make it happen. Here we see the effectual calling of God, for there is a general calling of the gospel. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. And that's what we do. That's the general calling. We preach it to every creature. We spread it out. We're sowers. We spread it out everywhere. Like the seeds, we spread it. That's our job. That's our task. We spread it out. The effectual calling is not our job. It's God's. He does that. And we have to believe in that. All that my Father gave me shall come unto me. And I will cast no man out that cometh to me. As we'll see in a few minutes, the Jews cast him out. Christ found him after they cast him out because Christ don't cast his own out. You see, it's effectual. It's effectual. It's effectual. There's a general calling of the gospel which goes out to every creature, but it is the effectual calling by the working of the Holy Spirit within the heart and mind, creating in the Savior, listen to me, creating in the sinner faith and obedience to Christ and the gospel. That is the effectual calling. He went his way, therefore. You see, that's the, that's the fruits of effectual calling. The Holy Spirit created in this blind man faith and obedience. If you don't hear him, hesitate. If you don't hear him, den deny it. If you don't hear him, reject it. <sighs> He doesn't say, no, I'm not going. He doesn't refuse it. He goes, why? Why, did, why would he go? Why would he? Think about it. Logically, we're humans. Why would he go and do something like that? Why would he even allow, allow a man to put spittle clay on his eyes? Oh, the effectual calling works. It works. It works. It works. I remember when... Uh, the Lord first began convicting me, and I'll just give a brief testimony here, but when the Lord began convicting me in Germany, and I thought, yeah, we, we need to go to church. I need to go to church. For some reason, I need to go to church, and we tried everything we could. We tried to get on the military uh, barracks, but it was locked. I wasn't in the military no more. I couldn't get in there, and so there was another church, and so we lived like uh, five miles away from the next church, so didn't have a car at the time. I was still young. I was what, 22 years old, 21 years old? So I buy me a brand new 10-speed bicycle, and I'm going to ride it to church, and me and my wife riding bikes to church, and the brand new bike, the wheel falls off. When I'm trying to go to church, and I kind of stood there on the side of the road, asked my wife, I threw my bike down, I broke it, and I looked up to heaven and said, you don't want me, I don't want you either. And I was mad at God, and I went back home. He didn't let me alone. He didn't leave me alone. Just like this blind man, they cast him out, crowds. Christ find him. You know why? It's effectual calling. God says, you might not want me because you might not know that you need me, but I'm not giving up. I'm going to do an effectual calling on you because you're mine from the foundations of the world. And I say, glory to God, that's the effectual calling. It works. Needless to say, the Lord continued convicting me and led me to a church where I heard the gospel. You have he quickened. Made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. This man was dead. But oh, as soon as Christ gave the commandment to go and wash, he went. No hesitation. 
A dead man cannot respond to anything. He cannot respond to any kind of call, external or internal, unless there is a quickening, an effectual calling, a working of the Holy Spirit, creating in him faith and obedience. Do you know that in your salvation, and think about this for a minute, not only did God grant you the gift of faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but he also granted you the gift of obedience because the gospel is something you obey. You don't simply, well, I choose Christ, chose Christ. No, you obey Christ. He said, come. He tells man, go. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, amazing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amazing. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 24. But unto them which are called, there's the effectual calling, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, effectual. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to not things that are. Isn't that confusing? <laughs> God says, I'm going to do things that just, your calling is various and diverse. I choose the things men would think not to choose. I work ways men think not. That's how God is. He does what he wants to. I've preached sermons and I've got out of the pulpit thinking, man, Lord, that was the worst sermon I ever preached in my life, only to have somebody come up a day or two later and say, preacher, that sermon helped me so much, it changed my life. And I'm like going, I'm amazed again. This is the workings of the gospel. So when we spread out the gospel, don't sit in despair because it seems like nothing's happening. Believe in the effectual calling of God. Spread the word. Trust in God. Preach the gospel in season and out of season. And trust the God, trust in God to do the effectual calling. Not in our words or our manner of writing a track or a form. Trust the gospel. Trust the gospel. And base things of the world, and things were despised as God chose me, and things which are not to bring to not things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Who of him are ye in Christ, who of God is made unto us. You see how God effectual works? That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. The Lord has said himself in Luke chapter 5, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I came to call sinners to repentance. What's he saying? He's saying true repentance is the effectual calling or work of Christ. Not by any merit or work of sinful man. He said, I've come to call. Sinners to I didn't come to maybe that they might come to He said, no, I've come to call sinners. I'm going to call you to repentance. I'm going to call you to repent. You know what God did to you and I when we were converted? He called us repentance. We said, well, I don't know if I really want that or not. I don't know whether I choose. God said, no, you're going to repent. And I hear the Armenians now saying, oh, wait a minute, you're forcing, you're saying God forces people. No, uh, God's commandment came with the desire to fulfill it. 
I'm telling you, he made us willing to repent. We wanted to repent. Why? Because the call to repentance was suffering. It overpowered our will to reject and made in us, created in us a desire to come to Christ. Why do you think the Lord always used the word, come unto me? Come unto me. This call is made effectual in turning men from sin to Christ. Which leads us this morning to our final point in the healing or conversion of sinners. One which many Christians yet struggle with. And one which has proven, I believe, to be the eternal ruin of many false professors. You know, the older I get in the Lord and the more the Lord reveals me out of his word, the more I begin to see and understand why over the past 40, 45 years... I've come to know and seen so many professing believers who fall to the wayside. How can that possibly be? How is it possible that somebody who once professed Christ so strongly now appears to be walking in their old ways of sinful life? How can that possibly be? And I believe that we can see that in our text. And I want to speak on this subject very cautiously that you do not understand me, misunderstand me. And that is following point, and listen to me closely in closing, that awakening of a conscience is not spiritual enlightenment. Listen to me. The awakening of the conscience is not spiritual enlightenment, which alone enables one to truly see Christ. What are you talking about? This man came foreseeing, right? Verse 7. Go back to John chapter 9. This man came foreseeing. Yet even though he saw physically, he was still spiritually blind. Why do you say that? Look in verse 12 of chapter 9. Then they said unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. I don't know where he's at. Look in verse 17. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He's a prophet. He has to be. For later on he says, No man could do this except he was sent of God. So he knew he was sent of God just like Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, I know that we know that you're sent of God. I mean, there's an awakening conscience, but that's not enlightenment. And I believe a lot of professing Christians are content with awakening conscience, never being enlightened, and therefore they fall away because that's not salvation. That's not salvation. So for a little while they bloom, they blossom. Oh, they grow, they run so fast for Christ, then fall away. Why? They only had an awakened conscience. They never had an enlightened heart. And that can happen. Though he had received, look in verse 25. Let me show you this as well. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or no, I know not. A lot of times I, I don't know. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. I, he did a miracle in me. I can see. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I have no idea who he is. Oh, and here we're, here is exactly where a lot of Christians struggle. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That can't happen. It can't happen. The man could physically see, but was still spiritually blind. You know how many people sitting in churches today have an awakened conscience, yet never been enlightened by the gospel, and they rest content in that. An awakened conscience is not enlightened heart and mind. Let me give you some biblical examples. 
The Bible says Saul was given another heart, not a new one. Read that. It's in 1 Samuel 10. God gave Saul another heart, not a new one. Big difference. Even Pharaoh confessed in Exodus chapter 9, confessed himself to have sinned. He said, I've sinned and my people have done wickedly. He expressed regret, even repentance. Yet that wasn't enlightenment. A certain rich young ruler, remember him? Man, he came to Delhi, so he came running to Christ, fell on his knees and worshipped him. What must I do to, to inherit eternal life? The Lord said, well, keep the laws. And the Lord named off only the laws concerning man, not God, because the Lord knew. If you read the text, it's only the laws, the second part of the Ten Commandments, not the first, concerning God. And the guy says, oh, I've kept them till my youth. The Lord said, now go out and sell all you got and give me. He turned away from Christ. He had a certain awakening of the conscience. He knew he needed an eternal life. Of course, he wanted it so he can keep his riches forever. We all know that. But still, there was awakened conscience there. He turned away from Christ. Our Lord said himself in Matthew chapter 7, Many shall come to Christ in that day, saying, Lord, Lord, we have, not, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? I mean, they're doing great things in the name of Christ. And then Christ turns around and says, He professes, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Yeah, but Lord, we've prophesied. We've cast out devils. We've done many wonderful works. The Lord said, I don't know you. So you see, an awakened conscience is not enlightenment. And I looked at that this week and my heart fell and I said, Lord, is this the reason why I've seen so many over the past 40 years at first profess a strong conviction for Christ only to fall out of the way? Because I know, I know the Bible teaches eternal security to the believer. I know the Lord does that. And I'm not saying Christians can't fall out of the way and depart from God for a while. I know that. But then they're chastened. There's fruit and evidence of a factual calling. They'll be chastened and brought back to God. If not, God takes them home. I believe that happens too. But to be able to leave what they profess to know and live in it and dwell in it and live habitually in it is unbiblical. It's not right. They cannot sin, First John said, because the seed is within them. That doesn't mean sinless perfection. That means they cannot live in habitual sin. Why? Because God's call is effectual. God will perfect that which concerneth us. So we see that there is an awakening of a conscience, but there, that is not enlightenment. Remember the five foolish virgins? Their lamps went out for lack of oil, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit. They all ten looked alike. They all ten went to do the same thing, meet the bridegroom. They all ten fell asleep, of course, but five of them ran out of oil because they didn't have consistent oil to keep them. There was an awakening, but not. And then when they came back and knocked on the door and said, let us in, the Lord said, I know not who you are. And I believe many, many professing Christians are in the same dire condition today. And I believe many churches are guilty of encouraging and contributing to this great deception. Yet our text proves that a true effectual calling within the heart and mind will always lead to true enlightenment and salvation. 
or in John chapter 9, verse 34. Let me show you this. A true effectual calling will always lead to enlightenment and salvation. Here's the Jews. They answered and said unto him, the blind man, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. <laughs> and when he had found him, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. And when he found him. I always wondered in this text, before you read on, I always wondered when he washed and came forth seeing, why didn't he, like a lot of other people, address Christ? Why didn't it say he followed Christ? Like many other, why it, it doesn't, the, the scriptures are silent, so we must be silent, but for some reason Christ didn't reveal himself. Until now. You can say what you want to, but sometimes an awakened conscience takes a while before God reveals himself. You know, oh, Christians struggle with this. That can't possibly, yeah, it possibly can. You ever heard of people say, you know what, I made a profession when I was younger, but I was never changed. I never, I never understood what the gospel really was until I heard it the first time. Now I believe they had an awakened conscience, but they're never in life. You ever hear that? Oh, but our, especially our hyper-Calvinist says, oh, that can't happen. That can't happen. Christ let this man go. He even let this man witness for him, for the Jews. <laughs> and then when they cast him out, Christ found him. Uh, Christ did not let him remain in his ignorance. Christ will not let someone remain in ignorance. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? What a question. This man thought he was a prophet. He answered and said, Who is he, Lord? Then I might believe on him. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both, I love this, you've seen me now. See, physically he could see, but now the Lord opens his eyes up spiritually. That's what he means by that, you see me. You've seen me, spiritually. And it's he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Effectual calling. Oh, so much to learn from this ninth chapter of the Gospel of John. What should we take out of these lessons this morning? Let me give you two verses in closing. First Peter 1, verse 10. I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1.10. Even got 2 Peter written here, and I said 1 Peter. 2 Peter 1.10. I like, well, uh, let me just start in verse 8. He talks about adding to these things diligence, virtue, to virtue, knowledge. Look in verse 8. For these things being you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind. See? And cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he hath been pur that he was purged with, from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren, here's what we should learn: give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Make your calling and election sure.
For if you do these things, you shall never fall. That's what we should take out of this. And Second Corinthians 13. Second Corinthians chapter 13. Paul's exhortation. Second <clears throat> Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own, your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you? Except you be reprobates? Examine, prove your own selves, if Christ be in you. That's what she takes from this. So you see, there's a lot we can learn out of John chapter 9. There's many more things, many more divine truths we can learn out of this chapter. It's amazing. But I mean, let's, let us not restrict God to any manner or method or form. It's the same results. Yet Christ chooses sovereignly any manner or method he will. And there's always the effectual calling. It's effectual. It will work. And beware of just merely an awakened conscience. Prove yourselves. Examine yourselves. And make sure you have an enlightened one. Amen. When they cast him out, Christ found him. Thank God Christ found us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you now, Lord, for your word. We pray that, God, you'd encourage us by it. Help us, Lord, as we as a church seek to spread the gospel to every creature. Help us to find comfort and confidence, Lord, in these divine truths that, Lord, regardless of what happens, Lord, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and it works effectual. Lord, help us, Lord, not to restrict you or the gospel to our own means and methods and manners. Help us, Lord God, to just trust in you. Let us spread the word and let you do the effectual calling. And then, Lord, I pray that, Father, you'd help us to beware of merely an awakened conscience. Let us not be content until we, like the blind men, say, Who is he that I might believe in him? And, Lord, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all these things. Guide and direct our hearts and our minds, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.